Welcome back to Sunday School. Uh, just a heads up, today is my last day for teaching. Starting next week, uh, Mr. Larry Templeton is going to be taking my place and uh, he'll be leading us uh, in another direction. So uh, be, be praying for Larry this week as he prepares for next week's Sunday School lesson. Um, for this week's Sunday School lesson, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week when we were talking about singleness got a couple more things I want to talk about and then I'm going to get into what the Bible says about marriage and complementarity. Uh, so f just to kind of lead us in from last week, there were three biblical facts about singleness. The first of those that singleness is good and these come from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, singleness is good. Singleness is a gift from God. Number 2, and number three, marital status doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. So your growth as a Christian, whether you grow or not grow, whether you are saved or not saved, has nothing to do with whether you're married or single. We also covered last week five reasons to be single. Uh, the first reason, this present distress. Uh, also, um, in verse 25, talking about the pressures of the world, things in the world are difficult. Um, the things that are going on, the conflicts, the, dis the frustrations, all of this stuff is even compounded. It's more complicated when you're married. When you're single, you don't have as much of that. Um, second reason to be single is problems of the flesh. So when you have a, a, a depraved, sinful person living in a house by themselves, yes, they have to deal with their sin, but they only have to deal with their sin. When you add a wife or a husband to that, you now have another depraved, sinful person that you're having to deal with the sins of two people. When you have children, now you've just added one, two, or like we have six, so you've just added six depraved, sinful people to that. And if you have grandchildren, you're adding even more. So the idea is that all of these different people with sinful natures and sinful emotions living together tend to produce, the, from the Greek term, squashed graves. And if you don't have that, those things, those are frustrations and, and anxieties and things that, are, that you don't have if you're single. Um, the passing things of the world, the things that marriage... Um, having to eat food, all of these things that we have to do today, but things that will not be with us when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll be like the angels, which means there won't be any marriage in heaven. Um, so, you know, these things are passing away. And if you avoid those things by staying single, you can focus on the things that are eternal, the things that are part of God's kingdom instead of being divided. And that's the next step, free from divided attentions. You know, um, you can worship God. You can serve God. You can go to the mission field. If you want to take a, a, a one-year mission trip, you can do that as a single person. It's a whole lot harder to do if you've got a wife to think about or children to think about or grandchildren that's, that, that's nearby. It makes it very difficult. And number five reason for being single is marriage is permanent. Um, you know, Bible teaches that you are not to get divorced. And so when you're in, you're in. It's permanent. You're stuck. Okay. Now, last week I said, dads, I'm coming for you. So here we go. Okay. And moms coming for you too. We've had, had the discussion last week about how the church 
seems to have this mindset that being single is abnormal or it's not right for people to be single. And we talked about how singleness is a gift. It's a gift that's given by God. Now, it can be a temporary gift. You're, you're single for a season. Or maybe God gives you the gift to be single your entire life. That, that you can dedicate your life to his work. And you don't have to be distracted by these other things. Dads and moms, this is for you. Verses 36 to 38 of 1 Corinthians 7. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if, if she should be of age, and it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided that in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So that both he who gives his virgin daughter to be married and he who does not give her in marriage does better. So the scripture is clear. Marriage is not wrong and singleness is not wrong. Marriage is good. You do well if you give you allow your children to marry, but you'll do better if you can help them to avoid the difficulties of marriage and focus on their work for Christ. Dads, moms, encourage devotion to our Lord Christ and his work in your little ones throughout their life. Look for the gift of singleness in your children. Don't think that because they're single, that that's a bad thing. It's not. Encourage it. Encourage the gift of singleness. Now, if you see they don't have the gift, remember the beginning of 1 Corinthians 7 says, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. And if you see that that's a struggle, encourage them to get married. Okay? Guide them into making sure that their husband or wife is godly, seeking Christ. Look for fruit. Teach them to look for fruit. Not because somebody says, well, I said a prayer 12 years ago. Is there fruit of the Spirit? Is there goodness and gentleness and kindness and patience and peace? Or are there just words and easily pretended activities like going to youth group and knowing lots of Bible verses or Bible words? You know a lot of people that know verses that are not truly saved. So what is this chapter saying? Number one, singleness is good. It is a gift. If you have the gift, use it. Number two, as a Christian, you will grow, mature, and, sp and prosper, whether you're single or married. Just because you're married doesn't make you more holy. Just because you're single doesn't make you more holy. And three, this chapter is saying that marriage is good. And it's for most of us. Fulfill it, enjoy it, sustain it for life. So we talked about singleness last week in the beginning of this week. This week I'm going to focus on marriage, specifically complementarity, the two roles, male and female. But before we do that, we really have to focus, when we start talking about marriage, we have to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. When you're talking about marriage, if you don't think 2 Corinthians chapter 6 first, before anything else, you've got a problem. Because this is the one command when it comes to marriage that God has given at the beginning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? 
What harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Remember when we were talking about singleness, we talked about this passing world. Okay? An unbeliever is only living in this passing world. As a believer, you live in this passing world, but you're looking forward to the eternal. And a believer who looks forward to the eternal and an unbeliever who is only focused on the now, it's like oil and water. It's going to be conflict, more so than, than two believers who are living together, who are, who are married. So important, do not be unequally yoked. Some of you out there are single and you so desperately want to be married. Be careful. Be careful. Don't be pulled into relationship with an unbeliever simply because you're so desperate to be married. So on the one hand, we've, we've got the, the bottom of the standard, right? The bottom of the standard where God has called us to not be bound together with unbelievers. Right. That, that, that's the lowest standard. Somebody who is a believer. Right. But let me ask you a separate question, kind of a different direction. Are your expectations too high? Are, are your expectations too high? Are, are you saying I'm only going to get married if this person has graduated with this particular theological degree from this particular university? They read their Bible seven hours a day. They pray 16 times a week. I mean, really? I, I've known people who, uh, who who have been married for 30 years that don't do that. And they're some godly folks. Uh, are, are, you putting, are, are you putting all these things on the list? I mean, they don't show up in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're being foolish. Okay? You make sure they're a believer. You make sure that they have fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, kindness, peace. Okay? Go back to Galatians and look at the fruit of the Spirit. Make sure they have the fruit. Make sure that there's not just words, but there's actions that accompany their faith. Okay? But don't have such a high level of expectations that you make things harder on yourself. Okay, if you don't have the gift of singleness, and and you'll be able to say yes, I do, or no, I don't. Now you may have the gift of seasonal sing singleness. God has you single for a season. Okay, but if you if you have that desire, that burning desire to be married, you don't have the gift of singleness. Okay, now if you're more focused on what's going on with God's work, and yeah, I could, but I'm not. You know. Um, you, there's a good chance you've got the gift of singleness. But if you don't have the gift of singleness, God plans to grow you through your one flesh union. Okay? Are you expecting to find somebody who's already arrived in all these areas? It's not going to happen. Because if God plans for you to be married, and you are already setting up all of these standards that have to be met before you get there, those are probably the things that God plans to do while you're married. Okay? That may be why you haven't found somebody yet. I'm not saying it is, just something to consider. Remember, balance. God doesn't do anything that's unbalanced. Okay? So, it has to be a believer. And don't set your expectations un unreasonably high. 
Okay. Make sure they have, make sure they are a believer as much as you can tell. Make sure they have fruits of the spirit. Okay. Make sure that important things that they feel like we should be in church every Sunday. Okay. They may claim to be a believer, but say, we don't have to go to church. We can just meet at home or watch TV. I'm not sure that they truly understand what it is to be a believer if they don't see the importance of being in church. So, you know, be careful. There's a balance here, but make sure you're not setting your standards too high or too low. So as we move forward, that's the premise. That's the starting point. Okay. So the value versus the role and function. We talk about complementarity and it's almost a cuss word nowadays. Um, but let me break this down into simple phrases that you're going to understand. We're talking about value, the value of a woman versus the role and the function of a woman. Two different things. Okay, so let's just walk through here and see what we have. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're male or female, we are one in Christ. Romans 8.16 and 17 The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs or joint heirs if you're looking at the king james joint heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him our our wives are the female the women godly believing women and godly believing men are one in christ we are joint heirs there's nothing separates us the bible talks about two becoming one <coughs> Bible talks about two becoming one. Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Jesus quotes that in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 quotes it. Ephesians 5, 31 repeats it. The two will become one flesh. Well, think of this word picture. You got a piece of wood. You put some wood glue on it. You take a second piece of wood and you put them together and you hold them together until they are the glue is dried. Yes, it looks like two pieces of wood, but it's actually now one piece. Because if you were to try to break it apart, each part will have pieces of the other. They don't come apart cleanly. There's always going to be some broken and shattered pieces when you try to separate th something that's made, been made into one. So if a husband who is despotic, who is violent and rough with his wife, he's not just hurting her. He's hurting himself. A wife who treats her husband with disdain, she's not just hurting her husband, she's hurting herself. And so you can get a, a glimpse of what God sees as precious. First Peter chapter 3. Come back to verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word 
by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior and let not your adornment be merely external braiding of hair wearing of gold jewelry putting on clothes here it is but let the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable that's undestructible quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God what's precious in the sight of God a gentle and quiet spirit is precious what does that word precious mean well if you go to mark chapter 14 verse 3 it's the story of jesus has gone into simon the leper's house the woman comes in with a bottle of costly very costly perfume and pours it on him and anoints him for his burial and one of the disciples pitches a fit and says this this perfume could have been could have been sold for 300 denarii and then the the money given to the poor do you understand how much 300 denarii is 300 denarii is is 300 days wages well if you work five days a week for 50 weeks of the year that's only 250 days so you're talking about more than a year's wage more than a year's wage is what they're talking about that's a lot of money right it's very costly right well the word for very costly in the Greek in this passage and the word for precious in first Peter chapter 3 is the same word it's very costly it's precious for a gentle and quiet spirit there's a there's a preciousness in God's view of a godly woman So what does the Bible say about wives and about husbands? It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Titus chapter 2. It's very clear, right? Uh, Ephesians 5 says, wives be subject to your own husbands, right? Husbands, it says, husbands, love your wives, right? Uh, we got to problem here um we don't know what subject means okay this is but people think that it means you know if you're a subject somebody's subject you're being ruled over okay we're going to get to that in just a second uh and and husbands uh, it says love your wives what do you think of well some may think of well i buy my wife stuff i get her everything that she asks for that shows her i love her right um, or I took the trash out after she asked me for the third time, right? Uh, oh, well, no, I took it out the first time before she even asked. That shows her I love her, right? We're going to talk about that. But I want you to track with me through this. So I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And this is important. This is important. Because I want you to see how this changes. Men's and women's relationships change. So Genesis 26 says, For Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them, let them, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so you heard that, right? God created man and let them. Okay, well, what's verse 27 saying? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, he's created them. And he has called them to rule. This Hebrew word for rule has to do with a benevolent caretaker rule. 
Okay, so it's a very loving and it's a gentle and it's a nursing type of care. Okay, and then we get to verse 28 and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing. So this idea of rule was given not just to Adam, it's been given to both Adam and Eve. And it's a, it's a benevolent, it's a gentle rule, it's a caring rule. Well, turn to Romans, or sorry, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis 3 is... Genesis 3 is the fall. It's where Adam and Eve sin and where God judges them. And this is the judgment on the wife. Look at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I'm going to come back to the desire for your husband in just a second. Let's talk about rule because in Genesis chapter 1, rule meant benevolent, careful rule. The Hebrew word for rule here has to do with a despotic tyrant rule. That's what we see today, right? For with a lot of men. Men men want to subjugate woman women, put women under their feet, right? That's in our society. We see it, right? So it says that that women will desire the desire will be for their husband. Their desire. What does that mean? Well, some people are gonna say, well, that's an emotional affection desire. But Eve had that before the fall. Well, someone say, well, it's a, it's a sexual desire. Well, Eve had that before the fall. Those things were good, given by God. So this has to be something different. Well, turn to chapter 4, verse 7, because we find the exact same Hebrew word used when God is talking to Cain after Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. Verse 7 says, to God says to, to Cain, if you do well... Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and is it, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. The word desire in verse 7, and chapter 4, and the, the word desire in verse 16 of chapter 3 are the same word. It's a mastery. It's a control. It's a power over desire. And verse 16 says, your desire will be for your husband. Your desire will be to rule and to subject your husband. And what God says is, so you're going to have a desire to do this, and your husband's going to basically do it to you. Okay. Well, if that's true, think of, think of our society around us. It should not surprise us. It should not offend us when the world loses its mind or people in the Southern Baptist Convention or other mainline churches lose their mind when people start talking about complementarity. Of course they're going to lose their mind because their only perspective is the curse in verse 16. That women will desire to rule and that men will basically put them down with their heel. If that's the only understanding of male and female relationships that you're going to talk about, of course complementarity is going to be a hard thing for you. Because you don't truly understand what God's design was. So let's look at God's design. 
To do that, you need to take off your sin-coated glasses, your world view from the man's side, from the woman's side, that we have to protect ourselves. Take those glasses off. Now let's put those biblical glasses on to see what the scriptures have to say. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Now Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 is going to repeat this exact same thing. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Verse 22 says, as to the Lord. In Colossians it says, as is fitting in the Lord. Okay. So there's a, there's a caveat here, right? Uh, subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, as you would subject yourself to the Lord or as is fitting in Christ to subject yourself okay but let's keep reading because there's more to this than just the word subject for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body but as the church is subject to Christ so also wives ought to be subject to their own husbands in everything why is the word um, subject, be subject, verse uh, 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ? Why is, I'm sorry, wives be subject to your own husbands, the words be subject. Why is that in italics? If it's not in your Bible, it should be. It's because that phrase in that sentence is not there. The original Greek says wives to your own husbands. There's no be subject. So the verb actually has to come from the previous verse so look at verse 21 be subject to one another that means wives to husbands and it means husbands to wives okay so there's a be subject to one another line up behind that's what the word means okay hupatasso willingness willingly lining up behind Okay, so if a wife, according to what the Greek says, verse 20, 21 says, line up behind one another. In other words, put, put another person in front of you. Allow them to be in front of you in the fear of Christ. Christ is our drive here. I'm going to put you in front of me because I fear Christ. Wives to your own husbands, verse 21, excuse me, verse 22, then verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Okay, this is a, still a subject issue. Husbands, subject yourselves to your wives by loving them. Okay, now I have to want to, I want to tread carefully here because this is a very, very um, risky conversation I'm about to have. I uh, had a conversation with John this week and I know he's, he, he was cautioning me on this on this connection um, but I think it's a good connection if you understand it clearly so I'm gonna try to make this very clear what does it mean to be subject okay remember we said at the beginning this is value of a woman or the value of the relationship versus the role and the function right so uh, 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 11 
verse 3. First Corinthians eleven three says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So does that mean, what does that mean? If God is the head of Christ, what does that mean? Well, let's let's see if we can point out what it doesn't mean. Okay? John ten thirty. I and the Father are one, Jesus speaking. John 14, 9, Jesus speaking. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1, 15, He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2, 9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. There is no inequality in the Trinity. In the Trinity. Jesus... God, the Holy Spirit, are three in one. They are all God. Okay? Not three gods. It is one God. Three different essences or three different, for lack of a better term, uh, three different person, not personalities per se, but they each have a separate role to play. God is the Father. The Spirit is the Comforter. Christ is the Savior. He's not a mix of 50% God or 60% man. He's 100% God and 100% man. Okay? So don't misunderstand this to say that Jesus is less than God. He is not. He is God. Okay? But in his incarnation, when he became man, when he was born to a virgin... He willingly lined himself up under the will of God to come and pay the price for our sacrifice for sins. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. John four thirty-four. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John five thirty and six thirty-eight. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine. And this is the garden of Gethsemane. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, not, not as I will, but as you will. Christ willingly submitted himself to the headship of the Father. He lined himself up under the will of God. Are you willing, willingly lining up behind the leader of your house as Christ lined up behind the, the will of the Father when he came to earth? To pay our sins for mine and for yours. Is the husband worthy of being followed? Nope. And I can say this as a husband clearly. Is he smart enough? Nope. Wise enough? Nope. So why follow him? Right? That's what you're saying. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Not because I am worthy to be followed, but because Christ is worthy to be followed. So if we turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, 
coming back to this, roles have nothing to do. God has placed man as the leader in the house. He has placed him as the head with the wife lining up behind him. But it doesn't have to do with superiority. He's not superior. It doesn't have to do with inferiority. She's less. It's not the case. But are you willing to follow the design that God made? Now, one of the things that that people tend to forget in this is that wives tend to be smarter. Or wiser, better educated, more disciplined, more discerning. That doesn't matter. Okay? God called them to line up behind. Why? Because God knows that as men we need them. They fulfill us. They complete us. Adam said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Okay, the two will become one flesh. One of the things I know about my wife is that she has skills and abilities and compassion for people and love for people that I don't have. And she completes all of those weak areas in me. So why does God call men to lead? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to hop through here a little bit, so bear with me. 1 Peter 3, 4. I'm sorry, 3, 7. Uh, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, as I've said with every lesson that I've taught, there's more that can be said than what I'm saying. So please bear with the fact that I, I'm, I'm leaving out a lot, okay? The, the, the end of verse 7 there, grant her honor as a fellow heir. The, the, there's so much that can go into that. But she's the weaker vessel. Vessel has used numerous times in the book of First Peter as a picture for the physical body. Now, not all women are this way, but most women are physically weaker than men. They're emotionally weaker than men. Not that they're, they are weak, but they, their emotions are uh, a lot more evident, a lot more surface than men's. Okay, um, And men are called not to lord that over them, but to protect them. Verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. You understand that your wife is weaker, so you don't ask her to go out and move a 30-pound bag of corn feed. Or you don't ask her to go out and move a bag of cement because she's the weaker vessel. That's your role. God put you in, guys. Okay? And yes, that can boil down even to the bag of trash. You know, you understand her you care for her the way she needs to be cared for okay that's we you provide for her in the family you protect her in the family because she's the weaker vessel that's what god has called us to do so let's continue i'm going to jump back to ephesians yes i know i'm hopping back and forth and i apologize but there's just too much to not miss here Husbands, verse 25 in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but they should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, one of the things about this is I was having a conversation with a friend, um, and he had commented that um, this is all really good stuff, um, but how do I make this practical? What does this look like in practical world? How do I apply this in my life? And here's the example. How do I apply this in my life when I come home from work after an extremely bad day and I find my wife on the floor crying with a screeching baby with a blood red face because she's been she's been screaming for the last hour and all I wanted was 10 minutes of peace and quiet to get myself together. What do I do there? How how do I live with my wife in an understanding way? Wives in that situation how do you line up behind, willingly behind your husband when he comes in with a sour attitude because of how bad his day was? How do we, how do, we do that, right? Well, I'm going to talk to the guys because I'm a guy. Ladies, we'll come back to you. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Okay, so love as Christ loved the church. Now, you can look at this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-9, and if you were to pull out each phrase, you could go through the Gospels and find a spot where Jesus was doing that for someone else. But this is how you're going to do this with your spouse, guys, with your wife. For love is patient. Stop. We don't have to go any farther, because most of us guys don't have patience. Or we could be more patient than we are. So you want patience is being able to do what needs to be done when you don't feel like it because you know it's what your wife needs. So you put your emotions on the back burner. You go in, you pick up that baby, and you tell her to take 10 minutes, go in the bedroom, take a nap, take a shower, take a bath, do something to help her be able to pull herself back together regardless of how you feel. And be patient with that baby. What else does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Even when your wife doesn't speak kindly to you. Wife, when he comes in and bites your head off because of his day. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Nor does it brag. It is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own. I just wanted 10 minutes to rest. No. You go and you pick that baby up and you hug on that baby and you love on that baby and you give your wife the few minutes that she needs. Don't think of yourself first. Is not provoked. Boy. Us guys, it's so easy to get us provoked, isn't it? I know I am easily provoked. That's what we're talking about here. 
Okay, so are you getting it? Going through First Corinthians 13, how do we make that practical? Okay, so what's the Bible say to wives? First Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3. Um, submit to your husbands, right? That's, that's what it says. And all of those passages says the same thing. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Every one of those passages, same thing. Husbands, love your wives. Is that all God says directly to husbands and wives? Well, yeah and no. What do I mean by that? Well, yes, that's all God says directly to husbands and wives, specifically. Why? Because no, he gives a lot of things that we need to do as a body. Here, let me give you some examples. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Philippians 4, 5 through 9, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. As the God of peace will be with you. Colossians 3.12 So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, Patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love. Well, there's love again, 1 Corinthians 13, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Guess what comes next? That's Colossians chapter 3. Well, guess what? In verse 28, wives be subject to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. So Titus 2, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Okay? That's a lot, right? But what I'm saying is this. The scriptures are very clear, very short information, very short information on what you need to do as a wife subject yourselves to your father your, your your husband's headship so, be submissive husbands love your wives as christ loved the church beyond that just look at what the what the bible says to the body put on a heart of compassion kindness humility gentleness patience that's what we're called to do for the body of christ well guess what that person living in your home if they claim to be a christian they're a member of the body of christ and that's the first person you should be doing that stuff for so this there, there's a practical side of this okay um if you In Ephesians and Colossians, and you heard it again uh, there in um, you heard it again there in Colossians three. Um, put off, 
put on, excuse me, put off the old man, put on a heart of compassion, uh, put on love. Okay. We're, we're called to put off and put on that. This is our practical for all of this stuff for lining up, you know, submitting, lining up behind your husband, husbands for loving your wives. This is your practical put off the old man, Colossians and Ephesians put a, put off the old man, the ways that you used to respond, the sinful ways, the the selfish ways that you used to respond, put them off, put on. Guys, you want it, you want it simple? First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, put on 1 Corinthians 13. Take the first one, uh, love is patient. Here's your practical, okay? You're going to work on being patient. You're going to work on loving your wife in a patient way. You're going to work on understanding your wife in a patient way. And you know what that means? You're going to have hardship. Because when you start trying to be more patient, God's going to give you opportunities to be more patient. And they're not comfortable. Okay? So the practicals of this. God says to line up behind. Then you need to line up behind. God says you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Start with 1 Corinthians 13. Don't go looking for 16 different verses to work on. Pick one thing. And focus on that. And when that becomes easier, pick a second thing and work on that. Okay? So this is my prayer for you today. That if you are single, Father, for those that are listening that are single and are not married, Father, help them to know if you have given them the gift of singleness. Help them to know and rejoice in the singleness that you have given them at this moment. It may be a seasonal singleness where you only have them single for a time. It may be a lifetime singleness. But if you have called them to it, give them peace in it. Help them to know that this is where you have them. Help their families to encourage them in this. Father, I pray for the wives as, as they learn what it means to truly be subject to their husbands, to be under the headship of their husband. I pray that you will help them to line up under. I pray that you will help them to respect their husbands. I hope, pray that you will help them to follow the guidelines that you have laid down for a, a godly wife. Help them to be precious and very costly. And Father, I pray for the husbands. Father, we, if we fail so easily. I pray that you will help us to love our wives the way you love us. And it doesn't matter how many times we sin against you. You still forgive us. It doesn't matter what we've done. You still forgive us. Help us to love our wives that way. And the more that we love our wives that way, the easier our wives will find it to line up behind us because we are imitators of Christ. In your name, amen.